MSW Media. This is Glenn Howerton. You are listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, my good friend. Do you really? Am I really your friend? No. a glass, sit for a spill, it's time to have some fun, let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking, but this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show, everybody. Oh, oh, the excitement. Do you feel it? Do you feel it in the air? It's crazy. Coming up just a uh, little bit, I'm going to be speaking to Alberto Navarro, the maestro tequilero of Loco Tequila. That's right, Loco. It's crazy. It's crazy stuff. Crazy. That's coming up. But right now, with me, coming at us from parts unknown as is his want. So our roving correspondent, Brad Jaffe. How are you, man? Uh, perpetually impressed with your Spanish skills. Yes. Is how you. I am, Dan. Thank you. Maestro tequilero. Mm-hmm. You have impeccable pronunciation for sure. You would think, given my, that I'm from Guadalajara, right? I mean, it's just yes, how it yes, is. Yes. My Spanish, yeah. I thought you were from La Jala, but <laughs> I guess not. No, I live near Wilshire Boulevard. Ah, uh, yes, Wilshire, right by Sepulveda. Yep, yep, there we go. So, Brad, where are you right now? You're all, you're always somewhere that's not here. Right, right. Well, it's muddled, as you can see. Wherever I am, it's muddly by the background. But uh, I'm actually in San Francisco. Um, was here uh, yesterday uh, having an incredible event. You can't really see this bottle, but it is uh, Tom's Blend. I'm still drinking it right now from our friends at Last Drop. They're incredible, and they did a tasting last night with uh, the folks at Sazerac. Um, and man, man, oh man, did we taste some incredible uh, American whiskey and scotch, Dan. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, yeah. speaking of tasting, the reason you're here beyond just that I love talking to you is that you and I, you were in Los Angeles the other day, and you and I had the supreme pleasure of going to Pizzeria Bianco here in downtown Los Angeles. So everybody understands Pizzeria Bianco was started in the back of a grocery store in Phoenix, Arizona, back in 1988 by a guy named Chris Bianco, who's from New York City. I believe he's from right around where you grew up, right, Brett? He is from, he's from the Bronx, and uh, don't be fooled by the rocks that he's got. You know, he's still Chris from the Bronx. Chris from the, that's right. So he, he starts this pizza place, and it just becomes a phenomenon international people coming from all over the world and that's not an exaggeration i used to hear rumors of people lining up for hours to get this pizza and it sort of in fact he was he got a james beard award uh which i believe is the first pizza maker to ever receive that honor back in 2003 for making this pizza yes we call them uh pizziolos or i guess pizzioli is the plural there? Because I'm good at Italian pronunciation, just like you are with the Spanish, Dan. Yes, you are very good at it. Yeah, I can see that now. So we went down there. Uh, our friend 
Carol took us down and we went in and boy, did it live, at least for me, it's not like they have a lot of stuff, right? They just, it's kind of basic. They got red slice, salami slice, green slice, Sicilian, and they got some sandwiches. But you're not going, don't get a sandwich when you go to Pizzeria Bianco. You get the pizza. What did you think, Brett? I thought it was, so for me being a New Yorker, and I would think for you too, Dan, uh, coming from the Northeast in general, that, you know, we consider ourselves pretty, um, let's say, cultured when it comes to good pizza. Um, The barometer for me is always the the full test, because I really hate these pizzas where like they're beautiful, they look beautiful, they look great on Instagram, but you go to pick it up and it's like, you know, like who wants Like a pizza experience is as much about, you know, the experience of holding it and bringing it up to your mouth as it is about eating it. And texturally, before you even put the thing in your mouth, you're looking at it and you're like, this is a prime specimen. Passes the full test, complete structural rigidity. You put it in there and it is just magic from the first bite to the last. It's like the old words of Johnny Cochran. If the pizza can't fold. You must withhold. Withhold. That's right. You remember that. Remember he said that? Yeah, I it do. was one of the lesser known quotes from the OJ trial, but he, Johnny yeah, yeah, Cochran yeah. loved his pizza. And, uh, and it <laughs> turns out that there was just, it was just tomato sauce, Dan, that was on that glove. Everybody That's thought right. it was blood, it was. but it was just yes. Chris Bianco's tomato sauce. But it, it was, it's a cool thing to finally, when you hear so much about a place and it's like when I used to hear about El Bulli, I never went. I, I, did you ever go there? I'd never, never been went. To. So you hear about these iconic restaurants our old friend phil rosenthal has been on the show a lot you know he's got somebody feed phil and when i watch his show or when i used to watch bourdain and you see these places and you go i gotta go there and i believe bourdain did pizzeria bianco and i know phil's did it and it did not disappoint that's it's because a lot of times those you go and you're like yeah i don't know but this was some of the best pizza i've ever had also, by the way, you know, there's these places in L.A., especially in, in all big cities, but certainly in L.A., where people are dying to queue up for things and they're going just because there is a queue. You know, like the the experience, the food itself is almost secondary. It's like, oh, all these people are waiting in line. I got to go wait in line, too. Um, but this lives up to the hype for one. And for two, if you're going at the right time of day, you don't even have to queue up. You can go right in there and have world-class pizza. Now, let me ask you as a pizza aficionado, we right. had, I know we were drinking beer with our pizza, but what is an, what is acceptable pairing on the adult beverage side with pizza? Like a New York style oh, pizza. What would you say? Wine. Okay. Scotch out of the bottle. Scotch out of the bottle. <laughs> No, no. I think red wine for sure. Like just, you know, like a simple like Chianti with uh, with fava beans. No, um, just, uh, no, just, you know, a simple red wine that actually has to be consumed like out of like a little not stemware, but just like a little like, uh, you know, glass, like a rocks glass or a tumbler or something like that. No fuss, no muss, easy drinking red wine with with red sauce pizza. What about sparkling wine? I've had sparkling wine, especially like a lighter, maybe like a white pizza or just a simple cheese pizza with sparkling wine has been pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I like IPA with absolutely everything. So I can get the, uh, the, the hoppy beer and especially with a spicy pizza, spice and hops kind of seem to go mesh well together. So I'm happy to go with that. 
There was there, there was a cut that he had, you know, kind of like this um, Sicilian themed beats. I know he wasn't calling it Sicilian, but it was like a square kind of pie. And there was hot peppers on there that really had a, a great kick to it. Was that the Alapala? Yeah, Alapala. I believe he was calling it. Yeah, and I I mean I. I loved the green. I don't even know what that was. What was on there it was like a pesto type of sauce. Was it? On yeah, there? yeah, it was. It was pesto-y. It was fantastic. And they got they got Mexican Coke down there, Mexican Sprite. They got orange Fanta. If you're not into the spirits or beer or wine, or they don't have spirits, they got wine and beer. Um, Brad, you've been all over the world. You've been, how would you rank Pizzeria Bianco? Is it is it up there? You know, and being a New Yorker too. Yeah, I mean that was. Uh, certainly on par with New York style pizza, which is the greatest compliment that a New Yorker could give to pizza. I think also like the experience was elevated, of course, that like Chris came and sat down and he holds court there in his in his restaurant. He's splitting his time between Phoenix and, and L.A. these days. So like, I mean, that's really cool to be, you know, having this world class pizza while this legendary pizziolo is is there, you know, telling you his origin story. So yes, the whole experience was really, really memorable for me. Do you know which one of my friends first told me about Pizzeria Bianco? <laughs> um, I I think that we're going to get a Dan Dunn patented name drop right here. No, no, I was, uh, I was asking you who did it. Um, I'm going to say that it was the first person that told you uh, was, uh, I'm going to say uh, Lemmy from Motorhead. No, no. You know who it was. Who told me about Pizzeria Bianco? Go ahead. Oh, I think it was some tool, right? <laughs> That's right. Go ahead. Say the name. <laughs> say the name. Uh, Maynard, I believe. Maynard James Keenan. See, see what I did there, Brent? I'm taking my name dropping to a new level. You're making the other person. This is when you know you're a very good name dropper, when you can get other people to drop <laughs> the name for you. That's correct. Maynard was the first person to tell me about Pizzeria Bianco many years ago. He swears by it. He loves it. When we were there the other day, I took a picture of Chris and I sent it to Maynard and Maynard said, please give that man a hug for me. That's how, that's how much he loves Pizzeria Bianco and he loves it with his red wine. So you, and he you, wants, you, yeah, he wants you to hug uh, a man that you just met. That's how much. And I hugged it. him and I did hug him. It it meant, with my mind. I hugged place. him with my mind. Anyway, Brad's got to go because you are, you are, have to check out of the hotel because you're going somewhere. I am on my way to Australia to explore the beautiful uh, whiskey scene that they have there, among other things. So I have a piece uh, on Bloomberg that just went live moments ago, hot off the presses. I don't know what the digital equivalent of hot off the press is. It would be four but- days ago when this podcast <laughs> comes up. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, it's still fresh, still super fresh, because it is about the trend of premiumization uh, in the Australian whiskey category. Uh, so check that out on Bloomberg. How long are you going to be over there? Uh, 10 days. 10 days. Can, the, can our listeners expect a, a report from our roving reporter from oh, Australia? Please. All yeah. right. Dial it in. Next week, and, everybody, uh, you'll be here. We'll be hearing from Brad. We'll, we'll check in with Brad in Australia, see what's going on over there. And of course, Brad, you got to join us. Two episodes from now is the 200th episode of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, and you will absolutely be on there. Possibly, maybe we'll put your Australian report in there on the 200th episode. I'm flies, man. That's I mean, I who knew? I mean, it seems like just yesterday I was uh, a wee lad <laughs> suckling at my mother's teat, and More now I now I suckle it on the teat of the booze industry. Look at that. Yeah, and I've, 
I've got to go because I've got a pizza, Ray's Pizza down the street. Uh, my buddy Chris Martin from Coldplay recommended it to me, so I got to go. Uh, got to go check out Ray's Pizza. Yeah, I got to hit it too. Jack Nicholson's calling me on my phone. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Well, you definitely don't want to keep him holding. He's don't want to hold him. How much longer can he hold on? Oh, that's terrible. Come on, Damn. Brad. Jesus, you are a real joker. All right, listen, Brad Jaffe, you can follow him on at Journeys with Jaffe. Real quick before I let you go, I was going to say, on that's on the Instagram, right? Journeys with Jaffe? And your, Underscores in between each, but yes. And you're Braffy on Twitter, right? Yes, yes. I'm going to say this right now, Brad, and if, if you'll still tweeting. If you will agree to do this with me, I'm this Elon Musk thing's got me in a tizzy, and I'm actually thinking I'm going to get off Twitter. I'm going to have yeah. the courage of my convictions, and I think I'm going to get the fuck off it. Would you do it as well? Man, it's like one of these necessary evils. I know. Um, and come on, if you're saying that you're going to, you know, you're taking a principled stance here, like, are you a big Zuckerberg fan? That's what you're going to do to stay on on Instagram? You know, like, these I are like necessary. His, I do like his hair. He's got a yeah, stylish, on, on stylish do. Um, you're right. But if you use that logic, eventually you'll get the round two. You'll you'll die like a monk starving because you won't be able to have anything in your life because most things in life can be traced back to a shitty, horrible person. I mean, I remember uh, like, and now we're getting on a tangent here, but I remember like back a couple of elections ago, I was like the Koch brothers. I hate these guys. And I printed out a list of all the shit, the Koch brothers, Coke industries owns. And it's like bounty paper towel, like a lot of shit that I used. And I'm like, yeah. damn it. I mean, Look, a great example here in California. I don't do it, but I used to love me some Chick-fil-A. I oh, won't eat there. I won't eat there because they're fucking terrible human beings. But I do miss it. I do miss the Chick-fil-A. Anyway, Brad Jaffe, always a pleasure. I can't wait to check in with you from Australia. Safe travels, my friend. Good day, mate. Friends, I love football. I really do. There's just something so exhilarating about watching grown men in silly padded outfits getting in there and mixing it up. And speaking of mixing it up, how's that for a segue, huh? When you're having friends over to watch football, the last thing in the world you want to do is be spending half the damn game playing Master Mixologist. It's a time-consuming pain in the ass. That's why my fridge is always well-stocked with ready-made mixers from Fresh Victor. If I've said it once, I've said it 14,763 times. You can buy the finest, fanciest, most expensive spirits in the world to make craft cocktails at home. But if you use Lamo mixers, you're going to get Lamo drinks. Well, that ain't going to happen with Fresh Victor, a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that are as smooth as Josh Allen throwing the long ball. Fresh Victor features eight unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. All the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. Mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a blowout win of a deal to my listeners. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. Touchdown! Score! Something else! Here's what I know. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. Regular listeners to this program know that I uh, love me some tequila. I might even love it too much. No, that's not possible. It's not possible. How can you love tequila too much? And joining me now, a gentleman who knows a thing or two 
Not only about drinking tequila, but making tequila and marketing tequila, all things tequila, and we're going to discuss it with him. He is the maestro tequilero of Loco Tequila. I'm pleased to welcome to the show Alberto Navarro. Beto, how you doing, man? Very, very good. Thank you, Dan. Thanks. Very, very pleased to be here with you and share a thing of two or two about tequila and what we do in Mexico, especially with Loco, to make it a different product. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. I, so I guess we'll start right at the top here. Uh, Loco Tequila came came my way. I, I got to try it, and I was really, really impressed with, with the taste. And I wanted to ask you, it, so it's being marketed as the first ever ultra-premium uh, Teruño, which means terroir in, in, in Spanish, Teruño Tequila from the El Areña, Areña, Añal region of Jalisco, Mexico, very famous region for tequila. But what do you mean by that as the first ever terroir, ultra premium terroir tequila? From El Arenal, Jalisco. That means that we are sourcing our agaves only from a specific municipality, which is El Arenal in Jalisco, where our distillery and our hacienda is. And uh, that a base to the fact that there are big differences in terms of profile when you're sourcing agaves from the Altos de Jalisco region as opposed to the Valley region, where it's El Arenal and Tequila and Amatitan, Magdalena, and some other towns as well. But specifically in El Arenal, having the influence of the Tequila Volcano right next to it, and the water coming from Bosque de la Primavera, which is uh, uh, one of the lungs that are actually uh, giving oxygen to the city of Guadalajara. So it all drains underground. And so that type of water, that type of soil, the uh, volcanic um, gravel, the volcanic sand, all this silex, obsidian, all that, delivers a very, very partic uh, particular herbaceousness and minerality to our products. So when we started this product years ago, about five years ago, uh, we did a lot of research. And so we knew beforehand there were differences in between the Valley region and the Altos de Jalisco region, but we came to realize there was a particular microclimate who made, uh, which made uh, El Arenal uh, a feasible soil to make a terroir tequila, specifically from there. So what would you say would be the primary differences between a Valley tequila and a Highlands tequila and your tequila? All right. So in general terms, an Altos de Jalisco region, and I uh, normally refuse to say the Highlands because that's uh, a misconception from my point of view, and I'll explain to you. Uh, looks like, wait, are we, are we getting in a little argument here, me and you already? Look at this, right? You say <laughs> well, Altos, I say Highlands. All right, come on. Learn me on this, Beto. I want to know. I want to know what I'm doing wrong here. Now, uh, it, it's it's all about comparisons. When we're talking about the Altos de Jalisco regions, which a lot of people refer to as the highlands, we're talking about a, an average 2,000 and 200 meters above the sea level. When we are talking about the valley region, which is the tequila region and Amatitan and El Arenal, we're talking about an average of 1,200 meters above the sea level. That is still very high especially if you compare it to the highlands of, in Scotland, where the highest distillery is about 350 meters above the sea level. So they are both 
highlands, if you call it this way, uh, one is higher than the other. And yes, there are differences in the climate and the soil and the precipitation, the water, the climate, everything. So the profile from the Altos de Jalisco region tends to be rather citric and rather fruity, whereas in the valley region, tequilas tend to be rather herbaceous and mineral and much more uh, earthy, agave kind of flavors in the in the profiles. And this is and this is all because of the the way that agave develops, grows in those particular regions, right? Absolutely. And it also has to do with the farming uh, methodologies. If you take a look at the picture in the Altos region, you'll see that the agaves are, um, they are planted very, very next to each other. So they are packed. They're growing very, very packed. There's a, a big difference in between the, the, the climate or the temperature during day and night. So that stresses the plants. And this is what makes them grow very, very big. And uh, because there's a lot of iron oxide, you can see the soil there is normally very red in, in, in color. So this is what makes it to be more fruity and more citric in, ter in general terms. And of course, if you're having your distillery there, but you're sourcing agaves from whatever you can, then you're not gonna find any kind of difference. That's very uh, obvious, but not a lot of people think of that really. And yes, a lot of distilleries, especially in a, uh, in a stage as we what we are facing nowadays, which is an agave crisis, an agave shortage that turned out to be a crisis. Well, the reality is that most distillers are sourcing agave from wherever they can. So coming back to the uh, valley region, the volcanic elements, the milder weather, it is hot during the day and not as cold during the night. And the way the agaves are planted, much more separated from each other, that makes them to become not as big. They are normally smaller in size, but they concentrate much more inulin and much more starch, which is later turned into sugar and fermentable sugars. So this is why, in general terms, that particular profile tends to be much more earthy. And what we realized is that that particular microclimate in El Arenal Jalisco promotes and, and makes this herbaceousness and this minerality to be much more prominent. So this is why, in, in, in the first place, we decided to make a terroir tequila. Trying it right now, by the way. It's, I mean, I've had it. I had it, and it's it's really delicious. Like I'm 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 enjoying it immensely. Now, I want to get your opinion on this. When people ask me about tequila and they say, how do you like to drink it? And, or what's your favorite? Do I like Blanco versus Reposado versus Añejo? Honestly, for me, it's Blanco because I really love the flavor of agave. And I, and I feel like the more time that it spends in wood, the further away you get. Now, that said, I'll drink a great Reposado, and I will drink a great Añejo. It's just a different experience. When you're drinking Añejo, it's, I prefer wood on, on whiskey more than I prefer wood on Añejo. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, if you are a real tequila drinker, it would be much more normal to have much more appreciation for Blanco tequilas. In a way, they are closer to the agave profile, to the flavors of the plant, because it's made only from that. And yes, you have all the production process and all that, but you don't have any 
foreign, if you want to call it like that, agents coming from the wooden contribution from the casks. So this makes them to be closer to the profile of the plant. So uh, my opinion is that tequila is so versatile. If you take a look at it, it's one of the most versatile, if not the most uh, versatile cattery in the whole spirits industry. When you say versatile, do you mean in terms of mixability, the, the sorts of drinks you can make with it? In terms of everything, mixability, how you can drink it, the different expressions that you can get. If, if you really think of it, most spirits, with the exception of a few, are much more about the wood. Uh, it, it, even that the, the raw materials are important, for instance, in whiskey, and it's very, very important. It's not the same to make a corn whiskey than to make a rye whiskey and to make a barley whiskey and, and where it grows and all that. That matters. But they are spending a lot of time in wood. And as you were saying, they have much more influence coming from the wooden contribution, from the bats, from the casts, rather than the raw materials themselves. In the case, not only of tequila, but all agave spirits, it is the only cattery in the world where the raw material is spending, in the case of tequila, in between six to eight years to reach the optimum point of maturity. If you go to other agave spirits, you're talking about 12, 18, sometimes 25 years to, to wait for that plant to reach maturity. So it makes sense to pay tribute to the flavors of the plant. And this is what I believe a lot of tequila drinkers, me included, appreciate about tequila and agave spirits, the actual flavors of the plant. And so having said that, a Blanco tequila would be definitely closer to that uh, that we're talking about. But when you're talking about Añejo tequilas and Reposado tequilas and even Extrañejo tequilas, for me as, as a product creator, as a maestro tequila, as the one who's responsible for the profiles and the, uh, the way the tequilas are produced and the methodologies and all that, it is absolutely crucial that even though if you step into the reposados, añejos, or even extrañejo tequilas, your tequila should always taste like tequila. You shouldn't lose to the wooden contribution the agave profile. Are you suggesting that there are tequilas that, that that does happen to, where the wood overpowers? Absolutely. How do you, as the person respond, how do you prevent that from happening in the production process? Well, it's all about balance. It's all about how you age, what kind of care you take in your, in your aging warehouse to the casks, what kind of woods you're using, how much time, what ABD you are uh, filling the, the casks with, and like every little detail, not only in the aging process, but every single little detail in all of the steps of the production processes matters for both the profile and the quality of the product. So yes, a lot of people, a lot of producers, I must say, I've, I've tasted a lot of that, uh, trying to overpower the wooden contribution, the, the, the notes of the cast. So a lot of caramel, a lot of... Uh, vanilla, a lot of, uh, you know, all these this, this notes that you get from the wood. Not only that, when you take a look at the tequila normativity, you know that Blanco tequilas cannot be modified with additives. But for Reposado tequilas, for Añejo tequilas, and for Extra Añejo tequilas, you can use some additives, which are glycerin that makes 
the product to feel much more having a, 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 a thicker body and much more smooth. A, a, a huskier uh, mouth feel to it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the mouth feel is absolutely affected by glycerin. Sugar, which is obvious to sweeten the product. Uh, caramel color to normally would be used for an homogenization of the color of your products, your age products, and oak extract to balance all that. So a lot of producers are using that in the right way to have an even production and adjust their differences that they have in production uh, to have a standard. Some others are abusing that and they are using them to make the product to feel as it's aged for longer periods and stuff like that. So that for me would be something like cheating the consumers. This is why when we started this product with this whole project with local tequila we decided to do things differently and one of the things that we do is actually no additives in the process we do have in fact a certification for that from tequila matchmaker non-additive uh, produced tequila or additive free uh, tequila that's uh, the certification okay so you probably heard me mention another rum brand earlier in the show and honestly i like that rum with all due respect, it isn't my go-to. <laughs> For it to be my go-to, like doesn't cut it. I gotta love the stuff. And I absolutely do love me some Batiste rum. Batiste is the first sustainable American craft rum. Use an eco-positive, solar-powered manufacturing process from beginning to end. They make it from 100% pure, fresh cane juice. They're not using molasses. They're not using sugar crystals. If you like your tequila 100% agave, then you'll love your rum 100% cane juice. And most importantly, it's a hella fine rum to be enjoyed neat or in cocktails. So I got a deal for you. No better yet, the fine folks at Batiste do. I'm just the conduit here. Go to BatisteRum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Fill up your cart and enter code DUNN, D-U-N-N, at checkout to get 20% off everything you've ordered. That's moolah, greenbacks, cold, hard cash. We can all use a little more of that these days, right? Folks, Batiste Rum is my go-to. Make it yours. It's proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. Using old school technique, you're still using, you're using a Tejona wheel, correct? Yeah, well, when, when people ask me how you make loco tequila, <laughs> it's always very complex, and there's a lot of things to talk about. So first of all, let me explain to you. We wanted to make, as I explained, a terroir tequila. That was very, very clear. Also, when we started with the project and we uh, find out what we found at the old Hacienda La Providencia, which is a, 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 well, a building, an old Hacienda, an old productive facility from the 18th century that was abandoned for about 60 years when it was acquired by the partners. And we first step in there, uh, we were instantly inspired by the old equipments that we found there, including town a million stones, wooden fermentation baths and stuff like that. In fact, we did restore a few of them. And I'll talk about that later. Please let me, please remind me about that. And uh, so we knew that we wanted to make a legacy tequila. We wanted to make a heritage tequila. And terroir tequila and also an ultra premium tequila. So if you think of a legacy tequila, that should be a tequila that has a lot of character, a lot of power, a lot of complexity, a lot of structure, very uh, 
strong personality. That's a legacy tequila. And of course, a lot of agave flavor. But the ultra premium product makes things a little bit more difficult because an ultra premium uh, consumer is looking for something that is rather smooth and velvety and silky and easy to drink. And that seems to be opposite to the legacy tequila, if you think of it. So we started making a lot of experimentation. And at some point, I realized it was not going to be able, we were not as a team going to be able to achieve this trilogy of ideas by having a single production line. So in the end, what, uh, what I did is to start working with several productive lines, each of them having ancestral and artisanal pr uh, production methodologies with a lot of innovation as well. Uh, but different in between each other. But but you but ultimately you're you're blending these into one product. Yeah, you're when you say there's different lines, you don't have you're not having various labels. This is all under the Loco Tequila label, correct? That is correct. So I have several 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 liquids, and each of the labels, each of the expressions, the ones that are out there in the market, and some others that we have back in the kitchen, are blended differently with different. Uh, proportions from all the different basic liquids. How big is the production? How many? What are you doing a year? But small? You big? You're you're this more boutique? It, it is a boutique production. It's rather small. Okay. Although we are in the in some of the places that we've launched, especially in Mexico, the fastest ultra premium growing brand. Well, hold on. Let me let me stop small. you there for a second, Beto, because you keep bringing up ultra premium, so people understand. When, when you see that on a label, it's not an official designation, right? There's no thing that says, in order to be ultra premium, you have to meet this, this, this. This is just your... So what are you saying when you're calling it ultra premium? Are you saying it's better than that other crap? Or what? what is it about it that makes it ultra premium? I don't think it's even necessary to say anything about others. Yeah. Especially if you're... Saying it in well, I guess what I'm saying is Cuervo Gold isn't calling itself ultra premium, right? So, Absolutely. So, yeah, no, you know, no offense to our friends over there at Cuervo, which they make some very fine tequilas too in, in, in their portfolio. But the point is, what does it, should it mean to somebody when they see ultra premium on the label beyond the obvious that like, yeah, this is going to taste good. Is price a factor in what counts as ultra premium? The price is always an indicator, especially for consumers. And when they don't have a lot of experience and they didn't have or, or haven't had the opportunity of trying different brands. So, yeah, one indicator would be the price. But for us, ultra premium is much more expressed on the consumer experience that you have while drinking our tequilas. And this is actually what, what you mentioned. When you open, when you crack open a, a, a bottle of local tequila and you pour it and you try it in the right glass, not in a shot glass, in a right retail uh, tasting glass, especially made for tequila and all these kind of things, the consumer experience that you get is absolutely different. It's enjoyable, smooth, uh, as it would be a cognac, as if, uh, as if it would be a very fine scotch, something like that. So starting with the liquid, this is, for me, the most important part of being called and being considered an ultra-premium brand, what your liquid delivers. Then you play with the price, and then you play with the bottle, and you see a lot of bottles out there, very nice bottles, and they are having extraordinary packaging and stuff like that, like 
Well, and let me just say this right now, and, and for anybody listening, if you go to go to my Instagram at the Imbiber, we'll be posting some video. And and behind Beto here, he's got some some of the bottles, the loco bottles, and it is a really good looking bottle. It's got it sort of looks like a little bit like a, a almost like a beaker from a from a laboratory, right? It's kind of got that thing going on, and uh, and and that's important. I, I I talk about this all the time. I really believe, like you know, if I got in my home bar. The bottles that are standing up and prominent are the ones that look cool, man. I, I you know, I, the, the days of the old cylindrical. I feel like that's past. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, in order to have an ultra premium product, not not only a tequila, any spirit, you must have a fantastic liquid, but also a great packaging. For me, it is a mistake to have a fantastic packaging and then have a so-so liquid inside. I must say that that happens a lot, at least in my personal point of view. So we wanted to avoid that. We were focusing on the liquid first, and then we came out with this bottle. And we didn't this, do this alone. We have the help of this uh, very knowledgeable artist in Mexico called uh, Jan Hendricks. He's Dutch in origin, but he's been living in Mexico for about 40 years already. And all his uh, artworks and, and his... Uh, well, all, all his uh, so whatever. Beto, Beto's he holding up known. a package right now, so everybody knows. And it's and it's a very it's it's a very good looking uh, package. It's got some uh, black and white, but it's got agave on the package. This is the box, and then the which when the bottle comes inside of there. Let me ask you, what is what's retail on this blanco? One hundred and thirty-five for a loco blanco, loco uh, ambar one hundred ninety-nine. And Loco Puro Corazón, which, by the way, is also a Blanco and 100% pure agave tequila, not Cristalino, not anything like that, is 349 Wow. So you're probably wondering why we're having two Blancos in the line, first of all. They are both Blanco tequilas, this one and this one, Loco Blanco and Loco Puro Corazón. They are both 100% pure agave tequilas. They are both ultra premium. Well, this one's ultra premium, but this was already luxury. Why the difference? Okay, so when we were making all these experiments and we stepped into the distillation process, we, uh, as I mentioned, we decided to go for column stills, uh, not column stills, but pot stills. And we decided to go for copper and all that and be very, very colorful with the cut and the heads and the tails. A lot of people, when you hear this message from whatever brand ambassador or representative of a brand, they're going to talk about the heads and tails. And the amount of cut and the heads and the tails is always very important. And how you treat the alcohols that you want to keep and how you discard the alcohols that you don't want to keep. But what a lot of people do not know is what happens with the tails and the, and the, and the, and the heads that are chopped off from the distillation process. And a lot of people don't know that they are normally, and this is not only for tequila, but for whiskey, for rum, from all the categories, reintegrated into the following batches that are going to go into the distillation process for the very first time, the first distillation. So it goes back to the dead must normally. So we asked ourselves, what would happen if we, for the very first time, make not only a tequila, but a spirit? that is not reintegrating the heads and the tails into the following batches. So uh, we didn't have really a lot of uh, assuredness about what was going to happen. So we said, okay, let's do it. Uh, 
And the surprise is, uh, I must be very honest, I was a little bit afraid I was going to get a, a, a very neutral product, but it was not the case. And the surprise, and the surprise to all of us, it was a Blanco tequila that has all the attributes that a high, ultra high quality tequila must have, but the way it is presented in terms of elegance, smoothness, and velvetiness is out of this world. It really, it really, truly is a delicious tequila, everybody. And I'm telling you, I, you know, I, I get to try a lot of them, and and you know, and and obviously, if you're, you look at the price, you go scared off. But you know, you got to treat yourself. That's what I always say. But I get you got to, you know. If you find a product that's 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 worth it, and this is certainly one of them, I think you got to go for it. And just so everybody knows, if you really want to find out more and you want to to buy it, you just go to loco-tequila.com. And that brings me to a question I want to ask you, uh, Beto. What about the name? Why Loco? That's a very, very good question. Well, first of all, let me come back to Loco Puro Corazon. If you think of the, of the name Loco Puro Corazon, Puro Corazon being translated pure heart, it's not a marketing name. It's rather a technical name. The pure heart of the distillation without the integration of the heads and the tails. So having said that and having talked already about all the different things that we did and, uh, and starting from the fields, uh, making a, a selective harvesting, we call it entresaque. So it's only the ripe agaves that are harvested. The others are left in the field to come back for them later. And then we don't only shave it once, a short shaving, but when we they arrive into the distillery, we do a secondary shaving. So a, deck, a second harvest, you know, a second hema to get rid of the green material that delivers bitter notes into the process. You're not cutting, you're not, this is what I'm hearing. All of this is what I'm hearing. And not that, you know, it just, I think for the average consumer out there, I guess this was what I, or not, just the person out there that maybe doesn't understand all of it. What we're saying is this, there are no corners being cut here. And, and that matters. Either. And I, I've traveled the world. I've been to Mexico 25, 30 times gone. It makes a big difference when, you know, so when you see something like this bottle that looks so great, it tells you right up front that this, they care, they're doing, and when it comes to the production, you care, you're not, it costs more money to make it that way. That's why the price is higher, but you're, you're getting what you pay for. And by the way, I just got a word here, breaking news, that if you were to go to loco-tequila.com and enter code WWD, that's what we're drinking, WWD, you get free shipping, free oh, shit. Look at this. See, it's just, just and sometimes people say, you know, people say the world is is going to hell. I don't think so. Not now. Free shipping on the tequila. Just when you think things are, you know, maybe they're not going great, and then you get this. Look at it. It's it's a it's your gift to my listeners, and I appreciate that. Absolutely, and we, yes, we appreciate your your. Uh, the, the well, I'm having, I'm having you on. Most, I'm, you're on this show because I, I, you know, I get a lot of stuff. But when I tried this one, I went, man, you know. And <laughs> and obviously, again, I, I'm not the harp, but when I see something that's higher on that price range, I think to myself, I hope they've earned it. There are brands that, you know, look, the cost isn't always, as you know, better than anybody. It isn't purely predicated on the fact that you're not cutting corners, right? Sometimes you, you pay more because. Uh, such and such celebrity is behind the brand. Uh, as you may be familiar, I don't know if you've heard, Beto, but 
there are, uh, I think, a handful of celebrities <laughs> making agave spirits. I, yeah. I got to ask you. I do. I do. You, you, somebody like you, you've been doing this, and you wrote just so everybody knows. You were a, a very prominent writer. You wrote like basically one of the Bibles of tequila, right? So you know it better. You it, you know what you're talking about. And I got to ask you: Is there any? resentment to what's going on because i kind of feel it a little bit and i've had a lot of these people on my shows but to me it feels a little ridiculous like where you just go okay how many more famous people are going to try to make a mezcal or a tequila enough do you feel that as long there is a benefit to both the cattery and the people who work in mexico for that cattery then i'm fine so that, how say that, that means that that product has to be well done, first of all. So it's not only about the name of the celebrity. It must have a very, very nice, well done liquid. And the benefits should be not only for the artist and, and the people involved in the brand, but also for the people who are producing it. So uh, I would love to see at some point this artist and celebrities actually building a distillery and, and having a source of employment and, and this kind of things, sadly, is not normally the case. In the, most of the cases, a celebrity tequilas are a maquila, meaning they are done by one of these distillers who make probably 100 brands or 60 brands or a lot of brands for a lot of people. So uh, I am not against I'm not absolutely in favor. Why is it Mexico though? That's the that's the one I'm curious about. Is you don't see it so much in rum, or you're not seeing it so much in vodka. Or why does it seem like? Is it just because tequila and mezcal are awesome, which they are? Is it because that category is such a wildly popular category, or is it something else going on? I think there's a number of facts that are making this thing to go on. And one is, yes, the, the relevance, the growth of the ultra-premium tequilas in the States. So it's normally about the U.S., not really the rest of the world. And uh, so that makes it very, very attractive for a lot of people. Even in Mexico, like uh, celebrities, local celebrities like El Canelo, the boxer, is making his own tequila and stuff like that. Do people in Mexico care if there's a celebrity attached? Or they, don't give a, they don't give a crap. Certain people care. Not the legacy drinkers they want tequila that just taste they just yeah. want it because it tastes good tequila and they, they just want the, the the right thing not for for them and i totally agree with them the celebrity doesn't really add anything into the into the premiumness or or the richness of the liquids or anything like that but i heard is it true that george clooney uh, sometimes uh, cries into the thing you get a little george clooney tears in there and, the, and that makes it taste better that's not true you ever heard uh, i wouldn't know about that that would be totally unhealthy but yeah exactly well, let, me, let me come back to your original oh, question why loco tequila oh yes because of all that i explained to you and so, so when we presented all this uh, as a plan to a lot of people and they realized that we we're going to make a tequila so outside of the box, so differently, rescuing back the original identity of tequila, but making it so differently in, in, in the way that it's produced. They told you, you, you really, guys, really think of it. You want to make it like that? If you really want to make it like that, chances are you're going to fail. You're not going to be able to make it. You are crazy. crazy. 
Got it. You're in love. <laughs> yeah. So I love st- I love stories like that. By the way, when you take you know one of the famous stories is the band Led Zeppelin, right? You know Led Zeppelin, very very yes, famous rock band, and and uh, the reason Led Zeppelin got the name was uh, they they formed this group, and it was Jimmy Payne and some guys that had been in other groups, and they asked, I believe it was Keith Moon of the Who, they said, "What do you think of this new group that they're forming?" guy from the yard birds and here and he and he said it's it's that thing's gonna fly like a led zeppelin and they took that name they went okay you don't think we're gonna and i love that you guys did the same thing you think we're crazy not only we're crazy we're gonna do it we're gonna call our brand crazy crazy and you did it and and i'll tell you what it's it really has paid off i want to ask you one more thing before i let you go though better we talked earlier you mentioned the way that people the people drink tequila and i remember you know way back in the day when i was a wee lad you know it was like tequila was like you poured it in somebody's belly button it's seen your frogs and you drank it it's gotta be even to someone like you crazy to think about how far this category has come in such a relatively short period of time where it's gone from being, you know, there were maybe two or three commercially available brands in the United States and be, and it was shit. Let's a lot of it was shit. Nope. Offense. Cause the brands we're talking about are still exist, but they, they make stuff that's not shit. But most of what you were getting here was shit because people didn't know any better. And now to see that brands like loco can exist if you would have told people 40 years ago, hey, I got a bottle of Blanco tequila for $140, they would have said, you're out of your mind, right? We don't. You know, it's got to be very gratifying for you to see how far this has come. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been a fantastic evolution that Cattery has, uh, uh, has been involved with. And yeah, who would have said like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, tequilas would be in the tables in the fine restaurants, not only in the U.S., in London, in Europe, in Mexico, like worldwide, it's really, really amazing. And there's a number of brands that have been uh, working on that for a while already. And so we are very, very grateful for those brands who did that. And we also, like everyone who's involved in the industry and is, is aiming that way, are, you know, giving our little brain to make this happen. And that's very, very, uh, we, we had a lot of, gratitude about that and a lot of pride i must say uh as mexicans uh and this is something i normally like to mention what what you see about mexico in the news in the movies and all that hollywood the news being all about bad uh, you know things happen in mexican crime and and uh bad hombres as uh, uh somebody up here once put it uh no, I get you, man. And, and I, you know, I know where you're going with this because, and I've been to Mexico so many times and it's just a, an absolutely lovely place. And the people are warm and welcoming. They're hardworking. They're proud. They are artists, you know, and, and that's what I love about this brand is it, it it's just, it's really tied in to the art, the artistic uh, character of the people of Mexico and the place. And you say it right there, terroir. It's all about grounding it to this. And I think it's, I think it's great. And I'm really uh, excited for, for you guys and, and what the future holds for this brand, which is just, it's like you said, you've been around for about five years, but new here in the States, right? Yeah. Brand new. We just launched it in the Bay area in California. And uh, so we're starting little by little there. 
And uh, although uh, when you make a purchase online, we are, I think we have about 33 states that we can ship to in, in the U.S. And again, WWD code, WWD code, you get free shipping. Shipping's not cheap these days, so you get that little perk here. So get in there and do it, everybody. Go ahead. What are you saying? Sorry. No, no. I was going to say that, uh, yes, confirming that it's a source of pride for us to put Mexico in a totally different focus, in a totally different uh, spectrum of uh, uh, perception of what can Mexico bring. Not only 500 years of uh, a blend of cultures making the country that it is nowadays, but all the heritage, the culture, everything is reflected in so many things, music, food, our beverages, our spirits and all that, tequila being one of them, the most important category by far in the spirits, in the Agave Spirits universe is tequila. And to be able to put a brand like Loco Tequila in this kind of tables for us is something that may, it's making us just very, very proud. Think of, it, think of this. When you are taking a little sip of tequila, every little sip that you take, you're taking a sip to more than 2,000 years of evolution of cultures of people who lived uh, even before the Europeans arrived into Mexico to make what we know today as Mexico. And in the other hand, you're taking a sip to more than 10 million years of evolution of a plant learning how to adapt and to live in a particular piece of land. So this is what you're drinking when you're drinking a, a sip of tequila. Not to mention when it's very carefully done. You heard it here. You don't just, you can more than just study history. You can drink it. And that's absolutely what I, that's what I like. Just don't drink it while you're studying history because then you might forget whatever <laughs> it is you studied. Well, listen, I, I, again, everybody out there, I can't recommend it more highly. This is a, uh, this is a, this is some special juice you got here with Loco Tequila. And uh, I, I want to congratulate you, Alberto Navarro, on you're the man that makes it, and you've nailed it, my friend. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next, because I'm sure there's going to be some other fun stuff down the line, and we'd love to have you back on the show when you introduce some new expressions. Absolutely. We're just starting. We're just starting not only in Mexico, the States, and we're just starting with these different expressions, and there's much more innovation to come. In time, we'll be there. Well, thanks for joining me, my friend. Thank you very much for your invitation, Dan. It's been a pleasure sharing with you, sharing with your audience. And yeah, thank you very much for having me and having Loco Tequila with you.